listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 125 and 126 of Reading Through the Bible in a Year. Thanks for joining us as we talk about it. Yeah. Hope you're in a good place to listen. We are uh, just cruising through the Old Testament right now. We're on, what, book eight? Mm-hmm. So good job. We want to celebrate your faithfulness. You're doing it. Keep going. It's not going to hurt you. It's only going to help you. Yeah. At least that's our belief. All right, let's do it. Okay, here we go. Our Old Testament reading for today is Judges chapter 2, verse 6 through chapter 5. Judges. All right. Judge, judge. Here we go. So we're actually going to get into some fun stories. We're going to meet some judges today. But first, we got to kind of tie up the loose ends with Joshua. Mm-hmm. Joshua finally dies. And uh, the next generation is wondering, like, so what do we do now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it ends in, um, in chapter 10. Says, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Not chapter 10, verse 10? Sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, chapter 2, verse 10. There we go. Uh, and so, so this idea is the generation before failed to pass on the story like we're doing right now. Right. Passing on the story. <clears throat> but they failed to do that for their kids. And so their kids just have no connection to the story or the land. So they start to make. Awful choices. Yeah. So I made a note when I read that. They, so this is the good generation, mm-hmm. but they didn't pass it on to their children, and I just wrote, God, have mercy on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's a hard thing. To, it takes a lot of effort to pass on the stories and not get caught up in the... Uh, pass on what you believe and not get caught up in the day-to-day. And they failed to do that. And so now in verse... Really, it's, it's verse 11 is the introduction of a phrase that you'll start seeing more and more now, Mm -hmm. which is, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord and the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals. It's like in, and served the, uh, Ashtoreth. It's like, no, no. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, you know, God's like so upset. He's put so much into them. He loves them so much. And he knows they're just choosing to be tormented by gods who don't care for them and aren't even all powerful. Yes. Yeah. And so it even says like whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was actually against them instead of for them. And as the Lord had warned uh, and the Lord had sworn to them, he said, like, if you don't follow me, if you follow these other gods, I can't be with you in this. Right. And it's not like, I always think of emotional, like, I'm not going to be with you. It's like, come on, God, you can be with us. But the reality is God is pure. Yeah. And he's like, I can't. It's like if my kids were breaking the law, you know, mm-hmm. um, doing something that would hurt me and be against everything I stand for. I can't even imagine. But um, I'm like, I can't be a part of that. I yeah. can't be a part of this crime. Right. And now that you're with the criminals, I, I'm taking my hand away from you for your own good. Like, mm-hmm. it would be harmful for God to join them in this... And support them in their idolatry. In any way, support them. Like, mm-hmm. that would be called enabling yes. them to destruction. And so God loves so much. So when you read that stuff, realize God is uh, 
acting like a truly loving parent. Mm-hmm. He's like, I can't be with it. That is pure destruction. I'm not going to party with you and watch you ruin your life. So um, <clears throat> he turns them over. And then in verse 16, and just kind of closing out chapter 2, we see they, the author sets up the cycle yes. that we're about to see. is They're doing evil. They turn away from God. They forget God. And it's usually in time of prosperity. It's usually what yeah. happens. It's like they're doing fine. They have peace. Everything's good. They turn away from God. They start following these other gods. Yeah. They get oppressed by another nation. And then they are oppressed for a while. They turn back. They call for God. God raises up a judge, saves them. As long as the judge is alive, they're good. They follow the Lord. And once the judge dies, they forget and start the cycle all over again. And really, I mean... If you follow the story from God's perspective, he is always ready. And even though he's waiting for them, an opening Mm -hmm. to say, let me send someone to you. Let me send you prophets. Let me send you judges. I want to save you, but I can't save you if you're fighting me. Yeah. So like if I'm trying to save someone in the swimming pool and they kick me away and I I can't grab them, you know what I mean? Like it's like he's waiting for them to go, please help. Because uh, not because he's messing with us. But because he's like, I can't help you if you reject me. If you don't want my help. Right. Uh, and then I can't remember if we said this in the, in the last episode. But uh, just as a, like a reminder, like this whole book, the book of Judges, takes place like, like it's like a roughly like 400, like 300 to 400 years yeah. of history. So just remember that. Keep that in mind as we're going through this. Because it does seem to like you just kind of go through a <clears> bunch <throat> of stories and you think like, oh, okay. Just like what? couple hundred years passed and it's like no it's like 400 right and probably from um from like abraham even to moses it's 400 years Mm -hmm. and then it's about 450 60 70 years from um egypt egypt to joshua really till joshua dies 450 Mm -hmm. maybe and now we're entering into another 400 years that's unfolding um and you you will start to see the years here as as it adds up but Yeah. yeah it is good to kind of put your mind in the perspective of there can be 400 years of kind of mundane daily activity. (laughs) And so we remember the giant moments in our history. And that's what the Bible is recording. Mm -hmm. It's recording like when everything was moving, like the 4th of July, the first one, you know, Mm -hmm. we remember and and certain uh, big events. So God does, you know, he's, he's seen their unfaithfulness. They've intermarried. They've totally assimilated and started serving other gods to the surrounding people. And now they're under the curse of God, no longer enjoying his blessings. And we see they're sold into slavery, right? In chapter yeah. three. Yeah. And um, it's they're actually returning to the exit, like to Egypt. They're not in Egypt, but they're in the promised land being treated as though they're still in Egypt. Yes. And so everyone knows that's wrong. And they're sold to slavery to, uh, what's the name of that, that place? It means like doubly wicked Kushan or Kushum. Uh, yeah, Kushan Rishathain. Yeah. And it, it means doubly wicked Kushan, right. which may have been a nickname or a self-chosen name by the king of that area. So they forgot their God and served the Baals and the Astra, which is like, so Baal is the um, the masculine yeah, the, deity, and then the female deity uh, is Astra. Asherah, yeah. Asherah. Yeah, not Torah, sorry. Asherah. And uh, these are going to be just returning gods. They're a big problem. Mm-hmm. Because in this, and the reason they're a big problem is because people are assigning gods to the actual earth. Yes. So these are the fertility gods of this area that has been blessed with fertility. Like yep. it's a good place to grow things. It's yep. a nice land. 
So the anger is kindled against the Lord, and, and God, in his anger, um, much like a loving parent, intercedes. Mm-hmm. So it's been about eight years of slavery, and then finally the people cried out to the Lord, and they cried out to the Lord. The idea is going to be when they cry out to the Lord, he sends somebody. So yes. he raises up a, um, a deliverer for the people. <clears throat> yes. And Othniel. Othniel is uh, Caleb's nephew who married Caleb's daughter because he actually went out and took um, Hebron for Caleb. And as a reward, Caleb gave him his daughter and gave him like a really awesome portion in the land of Judah. And uh, so Othniel, it's really cool to see this guy who's tied to Caleb is the first deliverer of the people. And uh, he goes to war with the king of Mesopotamia, and the Lord gives him over to him, and they get 40 years of rest. Nice. So eight years of slavery, uh, God raises up Othniel, he ushers in 40 years of rest. Mm-hmm. Well, the cycle continues. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and this time, it's a, a, I think it's a different area. It's against Eglon, the king of Moab, right? Yeah, so the king of Mesopotamia and Aram, I'm pretty sure that's northern, so that was like the northern stuff. And now we have Moab, which is southern, and they're coming in and oppressing. And again, the Moabites were from Lot. And uh, so it's like, again, it's like kind of like this extended family is coming in and dominating the people of God. So the first judge makes sense. It comes from a, a strong line, Caleb, yeah. right? This judge is a Benjamite, Ehud, and the Ehud is a left-handed man. It means so Benjamin means right hand. Son of my right son hand. Son of my right hand. And this guy's left-handed because it turns out his he's a he's a trickster. Well, that and the I like it's kind of like an it, I think it's noted because it's irony. Yeah. Like here's a left-handed guy, and actually the root term for left-handed was the right hand was shriveled, oh. and so he could have been weak in his right hand. Right. And so. Anyone who was weak in their right hand was not considered a threat. Nice. And uh, it gives this little note about how he tied his sword to his uh, right thigh. Yeah. And people who were right-handed would tie it to their left thigh. So if you were going to do a quick pat-down, you would pat down their left thigh. And if there's no weapons there, they're good. And so Ehud is going in. He's left-handed. So he ties it to his right thigh. Wow, that's pretty cool. Knowing that they're not going to search his right thigh because who looks there for a weapon? Right. And uh, so he gets the pat down. He's told he's good. He's delivering a tribute to the king, Eglon, and kind of being like, here, I'm personally delivering you the the tribute of Israel to you. And they're 18 years into this slavery. We're grateful for all the protection that you've given. You know, it's like very like pandering. Yeah, Yeah, we've been beat down for 18 years. Nothing... Nothing bad here. And then uh, everybody leaves because it sounds like Eglon, the king of Moab, is in a water closet or something like that. Yeah, it seems like they're not sure because some of the terms are confusing in uh, the Hebrew. But the picture that seems to be happening is that the king is actually going to the bathroom while this whole scene is going down where Ehud is like, I have a secret message from God for you. And even Egon knows his history, the yeah. Moabite history with Israel, which is their God is stronger than ours. Yeah. And so, oh, I, I'll be more than happy to hear what your God has to say. And that's when good old uh, Ehud uses his left hand 
to stab the king yeah. of Moab. Mm-hmm. It, the guy is so fat, the, the whole blade and the, the handle gets buried, gets yeah. swallowed up by his fat. Mm-hmm. And then the Bible notes that he finishes relieving himself. <laughs> <laughs> and you're trying to read this. If you're just reading through it, it is kind of a confusing scene because he locks the door from the inside, takes off, and then all the king's attendants, uh, it gives him some time, Ehud, some time to get away. But you're trying to figure like, Wait, did he leave? Say bye, guys. Thanks. And yeah. then they're like, "Where's the king?" No. And and so you're trying to figure that out. And so you have to do a little extra reading. I mean, the main idea is clearly stated in the Bible, which is he kills the king, and this uh, this begins the um, deliverance of the people of God for and rest for eighty years. This is mm-hmm. the longest rest that's mm-hmm. ever brought. So God does the same thing with the deliverer, with the judge. But we're going back because it's fun to talk. We're we're doing the uh, the oral. Transmission, yeah. <laughs> Telling of the story, and so um, tradition. So it's fun to go down these rabbit trails. How did he get out of there? So, How did he kill the king and get out? What do the historians say, Matt? So we're pretty sure that he locked the door from the inside. He's in the king's privy. And privy. the only like exit that you can get out unnoticed is through the sewer. And so we're pretty sure like they're... The prevailing theory is that he crawled through the toilet. So you think, like, it wasn't just an outhouse back then? No, it was part of a... It it probably was kind of like an outhouse, but it, like, had a drain to to water. water. Yeah, and so we're pretty sure he climbed through the sewer and out. And what's also interesting is this is happening at Gigal, which is where the Israelites first crossed over and landed on the that side of the Jericho. That was their first place. And so it's just interesting that this is where the Moabite guy is set up and reigning over Israel is around this area. And so he crawls out of the sewer, runs past Gilgal and the now altars that are set up there to Baal and Asherah. Yeah, he runs past the idols. And then goes and sounds the horn in Ephraim, I think. No, yeah. oh, I thought he just goes back and says. He just simply says, follow me. He goes, uh, he escaped while they delayed because the guys were embarrassed. They didn't want to run in on the king while he's going to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he runs out and he says, uh, when he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country. And he said, follow after me. For the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And so they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites. So it, it, basically he's coming back with good news, and yeah. that's all it takes for the people of God, really, is to yeah. say, I've defeated their king, now it's time to go to war. Their, king, their king's dead. Let's it's go get him. It's such an interesting like, relationship, because you want to think that everybody's just worshiping Baal and they hate God, but mm-hmm. it's, not, it's never that easy. It's never no. just like, oh, we hate God. It's, disobedience is a very fuzzy, confusing place. And so all it takes sometimes is one of these guys to come back and say, follow me now into war. And they do. Mm-hmm. And God gives it to him. It does remind me, like, even though Jesus comes to announce the kingdom of God is at hand, like, he's very much like a rescuer, like a judge saying, I just killed the king of death. Yeah. Follow me. And so 80 years of rest. This is the longest period of rest that I think they'll see. I think so. Um, from a judge, because the typical one is 40. Yes. But, uh, but that's Ehud. Pretty cool story. Then there's a quick little like reference to Shamgar, <laughs> who I would affectionately call Shamwow. Shamwow. He is not an Israelite. 
Yeah. He's just some surrounding dude who uh, had a long pole, about 8 to 10 feet long, with a blade at the end of it, and he kills like 600 uh, Philistines Mm -hmm. with an ox goad, is what they call it, and he saved Israel. But that's all they say, because... He's not really from Israel. Yeah, God uses... You know, God uses... uh, If he can't find anybody who is up for the task, he'll get the task done, Mm -hmm. and sometimes he uses... We see this uh, throughout the story where he'll use a king um, rebuilding the wall. Uh, yeah. Ezra and Nehemiah, he'll use, what's his name there? He'll use Nebuchadnezzar. He'll use anybody. So mm-hmm. um, so I think that's why the chronicler of Judges, the writer of Judges, is not super, like there's not a lot of detail that needs to be going in. Mm-hmm. Like a Gentile dude helped us out. Yeah. Respect. All right. All right. Cool. Cool. Moving on in the story. <laughs> but then we get to the amazing Deborah. Yes. Okay. Chapter four. So this one is fun for me on a couple levels. So I guess first it's, um, so Ehud's dead, and we fall back into the cycle. So there's 80 years of rest, so we're adding mm-hmm. up these. So you got 40 years of rest after Othniel, 80 years now, so at a minimum, it's 120 years. Yes. Not counting the years of slavery, add another 20. Yeah, so, so we're at 200 years, well, no. 100, maybe 140. 140 yes, yes. 40th. Yes. 40-ish, since we started falling into the cycle of sin after that good mm-hmm. generation. Okay, so 140 years later, the cycle uh, reinvigorates itself, and Deborah happens to be around. Yeah, and so we have the king of Canaan who reigned in Hazor, and now this is again from the north. So mm-hmm. we had north, south, and now we're back in the north again. And so the northern uh, tribes are being terrorized by this king, um, Jabin. And Jabin. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and Jabin in the name of the Lord. All right. So. And he oppressed uh, Israel for 20 years. So this is the longest oppression. So we got from 8 to 18 to now 20 years of oppression. Okay. I, I, yeah. I did some reading about this last year because I was super fascinated by Deborah and trying to find <laughs> out, like, who was from where. Yes. And so Deborah, we're pretty sure, is from the tribe of Naphtali. And cool. she... Uh, was a prophetess, and she, it says that she's the wife of Lapidoth, um, and... Never heard of him. Right, so here's the interesting thing, is Lapidoth means uh, thunder, and uh, Barak means lightning, and so what they, what uh, Jewish historians think, like what rabbis think, is that she was actually married to uh, Barak. Uh, and, and together, they were what I call my two fists, thunder and lightning. Right, and so the, the interesting thing is they think that when Deborah became a prophetess, yeah. she moved and that um, Barak changed his name to Barak. It used to be Lapidoth, but he changed it to Barak in honor of her and her calling. Wow. And so... So that's why it's we... It's so very modern. Yeah, it's very interesting. And so Deborah is... She would sit between Ramah and Bethel, which is in the south, which is in kind of uh, Judah area, okay, and which is way far from Naphtali. And so that's where she would do her work. She would hear from God and, and proclaim the word of God to the people in wow. Judah. And so that's why we think Barak, who is all the way up in Naphtali, comes and makes the journey down to her is because it's his wife. Oh, nice. And he knows, he trusts her, he knows she hears from God, and it's worth going to her to find out what God 
Or actually, she says, she actually says to him, I forgot. Yeah. yeah. She actually calls him out and says, hey, right. God told you to go to war. Well, that's, that's what I was going to bring up. It's a very, it, the marriage scenario makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. because it's a very marital conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought you said you were going to lose 20 pounds and there you are eating more <laughs> sweets. You know, she's like, I thought you were going to go to war. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And then they're having a conversation back and forth where finally she just says, does not the Lord go out before you? Yes. And he's like, I need to, because f- he won't fight without her assurance. Like, mm-hmm. I need to know the Lord is with you. She's like, he is with you. Yes. So he trusted her. She trusted the Lord. And then they go out. And uh, and so it is interesting. She says, because he's like, um, he says, if you, go, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she says, I will go with you. Uh, nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera, which is the commander of the king of Jabin, into the hand of a woman. And so she's like, if I go with you, it's a woman's. It's going to be a victory. woman's victory. And, and, and he, he's he, like, I don't sure. He's like, cool, man. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Well, so then what happens is they're fighting the war, and um, yada yada yada, a yeah. bunch of fighting. The Sisera guy, the commander, is running away on foot, and mm-hmm. he's um, finds a place. Uh, what's her name? Jail. Yes. Jail. Yes. Uh, and she pretends to be very kind to him, gives him milk instead of water, gives him a place to rest. And then she's completely savage. Because <laughs> she is from Israel. Well, she's a Kenite. So yeah. she's, um, she's a descendant of the line from um, Jethro, okay. Moses' father-in-law. And so the Kenites are actually a southern tribe, but her family had moved north. And her husband had actually made a deal with King Jabin. And so Sisera probably knew the family. And thought, I'm safe here. I'm safe here. And so she's like, yeah, sure, you're safe here. But Jael is like loyal to the god. Yeah. And so she lures him in, gets him to fall asleep, and then does a pretty brutal... She drives a tent spike through his head to the ground while, she's, while he's sleeping. Yeah. Which is completely amazing as the people of God who were nomads and mm-hmm. had lived in tents and wandered through, like they're nomadic people that live in tents. Yeah. A woman nomad defeats this great commander. Yes. Which is uh, a humiliating defeat mm-hmm. for them and a glorious uh, victory for us. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also, a, a yeah, so then, okay, so that ends up going from 20 years of slavery to 40 years of rest but then deborah writes in chapter five she writes a beautiful song yep um celebrating the whole thing yeah and then even in the song you kind of get like a little more information about how apparently because uh the uh cicero's army was known for their 900 chariots and that apparently the lord caused the ground to like like clog up the wheels of the chariots and and so their chariots were useless in the battle, and they had to flee from them. And that's why uh, Cicero's running away on foot, because his chariot didn't work. Okay. And yeah, so like that's what you kind of get in this song. It's kind of a little bit more of the details of what happened. And then at the end of it, there's a great line, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, like the sun always rises. This is our friendship 
Uh, people who are friends with God will always rise yeah. uh, like the sun, S-U-N, um, but then later S-O-N. And then the land had rest for that, that crazy number, 40, 40, 40 years again. Yeah, because I think it is like a symbolic number, but then it's also how long a generation It's a lasts. literal, yeah, like a 40-year, because once you become an adult, and I mean, 40 years is a lot of peace, mm-hmm. but you might live to 60, 70, and see some hard years. You know? Yeah. And uh, so the idea, again, is like 40 years, the judge dies, and then they fall back into the same cycle. Right. The thing I'm picking up is, man, try not to let it take uh, eight years, 18 years, 20 years before you cry out to the Lord. I was praying this morning thinking about this, going, oh, you know, daily we cry out to the Lord in the name of Jesus. And so daily, it's like we can reset the rest that the Lord gives us, the Mm -hmm. peace, you know? That's pretty cool. So... Thank you, uh, Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah. Mm-hmm. And ShamWow. And ShamWow. My boy ShamWow, just a friend of a friend. Yeah. Cool. All right. Our, that's a good transition. That's what I do. Our New Testament reading for today is John chapter 4, verse 27 through chapter 5, verse 15. Give you a little extra because you complimented me. All of our music is live. It's local. Um, All right. John chapter 4. So we are in the conversation with the woman at the well, the Samaritan yeah. woman. Uh, Jesus just dropped on her like the living waters. And the mountain of God is it's moved. Like, it's going to be moved, and it doesn't matter what mountain you worship at yeah. anymore. It's oh, going to be wherever you gather in spirit and truth. That's where you'll worship the Father. And you will worship me. Mm-hmm. I am he. I yes. am the Messiah. I have come to announce that the final judge is here. Yes. The final deliverer is here. Boom. And now it's going to be not 40 years of rest, eternally. Yes. You have access to eternal rest starting now. Okay. The end. We the should end. just pray. Right. So and as you know, this woman is uh, amazing because she's connecting these themes and hearing for the first time. But I don't know if we said it last time about the five husbands. She's a perfect representation yeah, you did not. of Israel because uh, of, of the whole north. She has five husbands. In the past, I've always th- talked about, oh, she was like some kind of prostitute or some horrible person. But really, she represents all the people in this conversation because they have had over five different gods. And mm-hmm. the God they're worshiping now is not quite right. And they're not really married in a mm-hmm. covenant because their God is not real. And mm-hmm. it's like... So the people are adulterous towards God, and she represents all that, but is thirsty for this living water that never stops. And so um, in the next, the rest of chapter four, really, she becomes one of the first evangelists, I think, right? Yeah, so we have the disciples come back in verse 27, and they're kind of shocked that Jesus is talking to a woman and a Samaritan woman, and they're kind of like, uh, this might be inappropriate, but they just don't say anything. They're like, okay, just don't ask. What's he up to now? Yeah, we're just not going to ask. And so the woman, she is in such a hurry. She's so excited to go tell people that she just found the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And so she leaves her water jar and just rushes home. And she says, come and see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And so the whole town comes out to see him. And uh, meanwhile, the disciples are like... 
telling Jesus, like, all right, uh, let's eat, let's take a break. Uh, I don't know what that was about, but let's uh, let's eat up and yeah, move on. Let's and, get out of here. And then he's like, uh, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Yeah. <laughs> and again, like, what? And basically, his food is to accomplish, to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I just love the disciples are like, wait, did someone else bring him food when we weren't here? Did that lady give him food? Come on. Come on. What did we miss? <laughs> Where have you been? Yeah. Um, and so Jesus is saying, really, the will of him who sent me. So this goes back to what did Moses eat on the mountain? Mm-hmm. Yes. What did Jesus eat? Like man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, right? Yes. And so Jesus is fed by the word of God. What, and if you summarize the 10 words of God, mm-hmm. it is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is being fed by this reality because he's actually enabled by the spirit of God and by his divine nature to do this Mm -hmm. and by his sacrifice in his human nature, he's doing this. And so he says, he tries to explain it to him. Look, there's four months that, and then comes a harvest. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. So he's using like harvesting, like there's plenty of food around. What are you talking about? And he means the food of God's will, the mm-hmm. food of God's word, and God's people, word is yeah. ready to be announced, and people will be harvested. Mm-hmm. They'll turn in faith to God and be saved. It's all ready to be harvested. That is what we live by and for, and this is what um, he's called to do. And so he kind of shows then how this late, like, we're going to come back to the woman. So they're off trying to get food, trying to follow the rules, actually not leading anybody to salvation Mm -hmm. because they're just, they're trying to take care of their human needs. It's not, they're not in trouble for that, but when they're, he's explaining to them, this is what I'm truly about. Yeah. The word of God. I am the word of God. Mm -hmm. And this is what I do. And the harvest is uh, plentiful, but the uh, workers are few, right? Well, the first worker really is the Samaritan woman. Yeah. And, so, she, and, and the harvest is ready. And so she runs out, and many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. I know, it's so great. Uh, and so when the Samaritans, they actually go out to him, they ask him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days, which is huge. Right. He stays in the Samaritan village. And this is early. This is John chapter 4. And he's eating with them, and he's talking with Breaking them. Breaking all the social rules. Mm-hmm. And uh, many believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. You know, it's so great. It's, this is paired up with Deborah. And mm-hmm. like you think about what we've read in the other gospels about the women who testify, the first ones to testify that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's really wonderful. I'm just glad we worship a God who shows no partiality. He does not care about your status, if you're rich, you're poor, you're male, you're female. He loves his children and he loves and wants to work through those who are open and ready to uh, repent and believe. And she is. And so she becomes really the first active uh, disciple and she gets to see some fruit. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to take the disciples a while, you know, yeah. to fully get it. So then, um, oh, was he going from... Hmm. So then he goes into... Oh, okay. Sorry, I had it backwards last episode. Oh. Uh, I, I thought he was going from Galilee to Jerusalem, but he was going from Jerusalem to Galilee. That's right. I thought he was going up. Yeah, he's going up. And you said that, and I figured, I figured maybe you knew something I didn't. No. Nope. 
The casual listener may not have caught that. That's okay. That's okay. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water into wine. Mm -hmm. That's not forgotten. Mm -hmm. And um, and so an official, this guy comes and and he says, uh, "My son is at the point of death." And then Jesus says an interesting thing: "Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe." So it's kind of a. We'll see that in in the book of Judges too, where. People want to see signs, mm-hmm. to, or even Barak, like wanted kind of assurance. I'm not going to go unless I know. Yeah, and it frustrates Jesus because he's going, the word of God and what you're seeing and hearing should be enough. Mm-hmm. But you need, you need me to put the medicine in some kind of ice cream or something for you, and I'll do it. But it'd be better if you just believed. Well, this guy's like, um, sir, but, come down. Mm-hmm. He he just says, come. I just know you're the only way. And so that's when Jesus, by his word, says, your son will live. And then he finds out. And I love this because it says the man believed the word that Jesus right. spoke to him and went on his way. He, he stops bothering him and goes, mm-hmm. that's good enough. Right. And he goes on his way. And it's like a day's journey. And on his way, the servants rush out to meet him. And are like, your son's better. And he his go- question is, when? When did he get better? Because he knows. I figured it happened when Jesus spoke. spoke. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of the, the gospel. Like, if there's any confusion about what it means to believe, it's that you trust what Jesus has pronounced. Mm-hmm. So if, when we say, in Jesus' name, you're forgiven, faith is believing that you're forgiven, not trying to prove it to yourself and go, mm-hmm. well, I don't know how much I feel bad. No, no, no. The gift of repentance is that you are, the gift of repentance is receiving the forgiveness that comes mm-hmm. after it. You have to have faith to receive that. So, he totally has it, and um, the Father knew it was at the word of Jesus Christ. So again, John, just like the other um, gospel writers, is is pointing out that it's Jesus' word was creative. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Then there's another healing, chapter 5. We're just going through uh, verse 15, right? Yep. And this is... Uh, at the pool of Bethesda? Yeah. Uh, so there was a little oh, courtyard. Yeah. Um, I think it was outside of the temple. Yes. Uh, it was on the north wall of the temple. And there was a pool uh, and a bunch of the ill and lame people would be uh, set out around this pool. And there was a kind of cult's belief that whenever the waters of the pool stirred, it was an angel touching mm-hmm. the water. And that if the first person into the waters after the after they rippled would be healed, and so this lame man had been laying there for how long? Did they? Well, he's thirty-eight. He's been inv- invalid for thirty-eight years, and he's been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Jesus walks by him and says this question that I love. It's he always asks this question. Yeah. He says, "Do you want to be healed?" And Jesus asks the what we always think is like, uh, duh, like the obvious question. But it's fascinating because there's like this interesting response that is very telling of us. Yeah. Like, what do we really want? And I love this guy's response is he starts to justify He doesn't answer that he says, question. He says, no one helps me get in the water. Like, yeah, he doesn't say yes. He says, I've been here. No one's here to help me. I always miss out. I just... 
if I could get in the water fast enough, I could be healed. And he's like trying to figure it out. He's not trying to answer the question. He's trying to figure out and justify his position and his lifestyle. Fascinating. I think that's what we do when Jesus just asks us a very simple question of, what do you want? Well, and he never said, it's so amazing. What do you want? Or do you want to be healed? Mm -hmm. Because the reality is this guy's been sitting there for years, hearing what goes on in the temple, but, Mm -hmm. but never being able to access it overlooked, you know, all the things that come with, with being an invalid in that culture and having to beg. And I think even what do you, do you want to be healed? Yeah. He, his response, I think what he really wants is he wants to be healed, but what, what his healing is, is to be restored to a community that would care for him. I need someone to care for me. Uh-huh. And I think that's what Jesus heals. Uh, the guy doesn't even say like, oh, fix my legs. He just says, no one helps me. Mm-hmm. All right, pick up your mat and walk. And so Jesus restores him from what he wants to be healed from, which is, I think, restoration to the community. Yes. Um, because the guy, other people do say, I'm blind, give me sight. You yeah. know, give, this guy just says, no one helps me. And so it's just, I think it's a really beautiful example of, and, and also that question, do you want to be healed, is a tricky question because, uh, like you were just saying, it'll change everything. Mm-hmm. Do I really want to be healed? What, now, what do I really want? Where am I going to work? Mm-hmm. Like, I have to figure out how to live now with my legs. That yeah. might be harder than just sitting here for another 20 years before I die. Um, well, then, of course, he goes off, he tells tells everybody, and the religious uh, leadership gets mad. Yeah, because it is the Sabbath, and it seems to be the day that Jesus loves to heal on. And the religious leaders are very upset because he's holding up his bed. Yeah. And part of like the resting laws was you weren't allowed to carry certain things. And like, there was like a weight limit because you'd be working. You could be exerting yourself if you're carrying too, too much. Right. And so they're like, who told you you could carry your mat? (laughs) They're like, not, not too concerned about this guy who they've seen forever for 38 years lying on a bed. Well, that's because walking around. That's what Jesus did. He said, his healing words were get up, take your bed and walk. Yeah. So this is what happens. You know, people take it like so literally, they aren't taking it seriously. Like, oh, he just healed this guy. They're taking it literally. You told him to break the law. Yeah. Well, first of all, you break your man-made application of the law. It's right. not one of the 10 words. Yes. Um, and, and then second of all, you're missing the point. And that's why Jesus just says, my father's working till now and I am working, which makes them even more upset. Because he says, I'm working on the Sabbath because I am God. Yes. He very clearly says, I'm God. Very clearly says, I'm working because God works yes. on the Sabbath. Because that's my day. Because that's who I am. And uh, I do love this idea, though. It seems that the man was so excited that he takes up his mat and just runs into the temple and leaves Jesus behind. He's been waiting to be there for 38 years. Gets grilled by the temple officials. Who told you you could pick up your mat? And he's like, the guy who told me to get up and walk. I don't know. And then he runs into Jesus later. Right. And Jesus says, see, you're well. Now sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And I just, I love though, like this idea that he just casually bumps into Jesus later on and is like, well, this is the guy who healed me. And Jesus is like, oh, I'm glad to see that you're doing all right. But the idea, <laughs> the idea you brought up to me too is he's running around the temple for the first time. Yes. I've only ever heard this place 
hustle and bustle and my ma- imagination. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, unless someone's carried him through it, but you're not allowed to go in, right? Yeah. No one would even carry you in. No. So it's pretty, he's pretty excited. And he doesn't even know. Like, what do you mean? Take up your mat and walk. That was a miracle. Yeah. That's one of your rules now? Because, you know, the Pharisees weren't sitting there talking to invalids, mm-hmm. sharing with them all their insights on the law. Um, that's pretty great, though. Jesus, again, his word heals. And he is the word. And he's healing us. Yeah. So. All right. That's the uh, New Testament, right? Yeah. Let's go into the psalm for today. We are going to do Psalm 57, 1 through 6. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by, I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul has bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Well, go in peace. Serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.